Rising Champions, a podcast about the mental side of sports, featuring inspirational interviews with young rising athletes about their quest to win their personal championships. Hosted by Dr. Jason Novetsky of Champion Mindset Group, alongside radio personality Kyle Bogie. All right, episode 33 of the Rising Champions podcast, Kyle Bogie, Dr. Jason Devetsky of the Champion Mindset Group, and uh, we're going to spend as little time uh, talking about you and I and what we're doing and things like that, because we have an exceptional guest on uh, today, Coach John Brubaker, an acclaimed author, a leader, uh, a motivational speaker, somebody who just, Doc, I mean, we're going to get to the interview in a second, I think has a lot of really good things to say. That's right. Uh, well, first of all, Merry Christmas and uh, to everybody as well. Um, this is a, one of my heroes, uh, kind of a silent mentor, if you will. And I read his book, Seeds of Success, years ago. Uh, I read it all the time. I highly recommend it. And if you're a coach, if you're a player, if you're a leader in anything you do, this interview is for you. Okay, well, Coach, we, we really appreciate you joining us here on the Rising Champions podcast. And, uh, you know, I wanted to start just I guess start with the the overall and overarching you know view of what you do and what you've done. So if you had to say your biggest piece of advice as it you know pertains to success, as it pertains to uh, focus, hard work, whatever it may be, what is that biggest piece of advice that whether it be through your book and various other you know messaging, you try to impart upon young people out there that are trying to go in, in a positive direction in life? You uh, started, Kyle, asking what it is I do. I would just simply say I help people get out of their own way. And I, I think that's what, you know, great coaches in all walks of life do, just help people get out of their own way. And that tends to be our biggest obstacle is, uh, you know, not a competitor necessarily. Like the competition is you. That's my best advice. The, the competition is staring you in the face every morning when you wake up and go to the mirror to brush your teeth and comb your hair. And we, we uh, fall into this comparison trap. You know, I think it's, this is the difference between you talk about success versus significance, where we compare ourselves, you know, we compare our own uh, blooper reel that's constantly playing in our head to uh, everyone else we see, you know, ESPN Sports Center highlight film. You know, no one's as uh, smart as they make themselves sound on LinkedIn, as pretty as they make themselves look on Instagram, or as uh, clever and humorous as they may appear on Twitter. Like, we're comparing the wrong things instead of comparing me today versus me yesterday. That's my best advice. I think that's great advice, Coach, because we talk about this before on the podcast, and it's something that comes up a lot with my personal clients is they're constantly comparing themselves to their competition or even their own teammates. And I reiterate exactly what you just said about the only person you need to compare yourself is to who you were yesterday and make sure you're getting better a little bit every day. So, don't, don't get me wrong. For all your fans who are watching this, listening to this, like, Jason really is as good looking in person as he looks on Instagram. <laughs> I can tell you that. It, knowing Kyle for as long as I have, I can tell you he really is as intelligent as his LinkedIn profile showcases. If he has one. <laughs> Those are like the, uh, you know, they're uh, outliers, you know. Yeah, right. um, not everyone is, is quite as amazing as these two. Oh, we appreciate that. Right, man. 
God. Yeah, no doubt. I just got to follow you guys around and, and hype you up before you go on stage. There we go. So, John, we are super excited to have you on. Uh, I was talking to you before we started recording how, you know, I reread Seeds of Success every year or right around this time uh, to kind of, you know, reinvigorate myself for the upcoming year to make sure that my mind is in the right place for me working with my clients as a coach as well. So, you know, that book is is primed to help you, you know, develop a high quality mindset. Now, there's so many topics I want to dive into today, but one of the ones I want to start with right off the get-go is early in the book is when you talk about the importance of knowing your purpose and knowing your why. And that's something I talk about with my clients as well, but I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, I think this is, um, I think this is a tough one for uh, members of the younger persuasion. Mm-hmm. Because you don't have the benefit of life kicking you in the teeth a few times. And you don't have the benefit of just having some life experience or maybe necessarily having a little wisdom uh, that comes with mentorship. You know, if you're uh, a young student athlete right now uh, who's listening or watching this, uh, you're very fortunate you have a coach. And if you then, you know, stop playing your sport because you don't go pro and you're done with college. Uh, there's a big disconnect uh, in your life, I think, because you're so used to having a coach for so many years that now you're, you're just thrown out into the quote real world to sink or swim. And, you know, the one thing that can really help you kind of calibrate where you're going and your plan and how to get there uh, is to know your why and know your purpose. Um, but probably the bigger thing would be to have a coach and to go find that mentor, you know, formally or informally. But I think you really need to know why you're doing what you do. Um, and, you know, my, you know, a phrase I love is from uh, a mentor of mine. Uh, he was the winningest college basketball coach of all time. And that's Don Meyer. Uh, he coached many years at, um, Lipscomb University and then moved to South Dakota and coached at Northern State in South Dakota. Um, he was an NAIA coach, coached on the back roads of college basketball for many, many years. Actually had more wins than Bob Knight and uh, Mike Krzyzewski. Huh. And, you know, he always said that you're never really going to win until you have a higher purpose than winning. So, you know, as, as student athletes uh, and professional athletes alike are trying to climb that ladder of success. It's not just about the wins. Like what is your higher purpose? Hmm. And, you know, one of the teams I've been fortunate to work with for the last three years was the Pittsburgh Pirates, Major League Baseball organization. I know I'm in Detroit Tiger country right now. Sorry. <laughs> but, okay. um, you know, their sort of mission statement that uh, their assistant general manager, Kyle Stark, came up with was changing lives through baseball. And that was their North star. It wasn't like we want to win the division or win a world series. Like, yeah, th those things would be nice, but unless you're really changing lives through your sport, those things probably aren't going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, so what's your higher purpose? Great it's got to be more than winning. Well, and I, I would say too, and you know, I'm sure that you, you hit on this and you know, I'm going to have to, Brush up on your books, I, I would say, moving forward here, Doc, has uh, certainly talked them up, and they, they sound interesting just based on what you're saying. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah, it's a shameless plug, right? But I, I would even say too, you know, it's it's finding the message within the losses as well. You know, not just obviously if you're winning, you're having success, and you're turning, uh, you know, that success into greater things, and you're mentoring younger people and trying to show them, you know, what to do and how you can make a difference. But it's always been for me the losses, the disappointments that I've I've learned the most about myself and learned how to grow from. Kyle, you hit the nail on the head so precisely. Um, I mean, I could go a hundred different directions with your comment, but I'll just leave it at this. Um, today is the one-year anniversary of uh, a middle school basketball team I helped coach. I was a college coach for 12 years, worked with professional sports teams and college teams. Like, I've done like these things at a much higher level. But the most rewarding thing I did was help out coaching my daughter's eighth grade basketball team. A year ago today, they won their Christmas tournament. At the last meeting of the season, we sat on the court and everyone kind of had their final comments. And the head coach just said to me, Coach Brew, um, what are your you know, kind of final thoughts? And I said, I'm really sorry we went undefeated. And they're like, the kids are just looking at me like, you know, I say things for shock value as you probably saw before we, uh, before I realized <laughs> we started recording here, but uh, they're like, what? You know, like we blew teams out. We like, we weren't really tested. And I said, because the reality of it is, is not every year of your life is going to be an undefeated season. And really we learn more through losses than we ever learned through winning. Because losses expose things. They expose, uh, you know, a physical shortcoming, uh, bad matchups, poor coaching, uh, a lack of mental toughness, you know, fixable problems, but um, they teach far more than, than uh, you know, going 13-0 and 0 ever would. And I really meant that. And, you know, eventually they'll understand that. They, weren't, they probably still don't quite understand it yet. But the head coach and I just looked at each other and nodded. And, you know, I think that's uh, – you know, the value of losing and learning how to do it gracefully. I mean, you want to learn how to make sure it doesn't happen too often, but uh, it, it is such an essential part of the experience. That's so true. And so many of our clients that we talk to uh, on this podcast and, and my clients in my office and teams, we talk about the importance of parents and coaching, letting kids fail and experiencing that, like you said. So I think that's a great point that you just affirmed the, the kind of work that we've been doing here. So let's switch topics a little bit, uh, maybe along the same lines. Um, I want to talk about dealing with adversity. Certainly in the last year, uh, a lot of our athletes um, have been dealing with a lot of adversity because season's been shut down, recruiting's been tougher, um, school's different, life's just different as we all know it. You mentioned in Seeds of Success, the book, an acronym called RAFL, and it's about recovering from adversity. Uh, explain that to our audience and how to use that. Yeah, the acronym RAFL is um, basically how you handle a mistake. You recognize it, you admit it, like you hold yourself accountable to yourself, uh, but then you need to forget about it in the moment mm -hmm. and learn from it later. So it's R, recognize it, A, admit it, F, Forget about it, and L, learn from it later. You cannot learn from a mistake in the moment, during a game, during practice, during training. You can only learn from it later. 
But so often we get, we kind of stay stuck in that mistake we made that we're reliving that play from the last possession or the last series or the last inning, whatever it might be, the last quarter. Uh, we're reliving that bad play over and over and over again in our head instead of being present in the moment and focusing on what's now. And at the same time, the worst, you know, a worst thing you can do is probably focus on what's next as opposed to being in the moment. But yeah, we have got to learn how to just let things go, forget about them, learn from them, but we need to do that later. That's for the film room. That's for the next day in practice. That's for the meeting with your coaching staff after the game. Right. You know, it's funny because I attended a lot of events, obviously a lot of sporting events in my life and youth events as well. And the biggest pet peeve I have, especially like in basketball, where a kid makes a mistake, he turns it over, he makes a bad pass, whatever the case may be. And the coach yells from the sidelines, why did you do that? Or what were you thinking? You know, and I'm like, I'm, I'm shaving really? points, coach. Yeah, right. It's heavy like, action in Vegas on this yeah. AAU, sixth grade AAU game. <laughs> it just blows me away. And, I, you know, I'm not trying to slam coaches, but there are no. some coaches out there that are like, and to me, that coach is separating themselves from their team mm-hmm. because basically what he's saying to the people watching is, that's not me, that's on him. I didn't teach him to do that. So, you know, he, he's separating himself. So it's not us together, it's, it's me and you. I'm more fond of, uh, Coaches who drop a four-letter word on that kid right after he screws something up royally. <laughs> and that four-letter word is next. Right. It's just uh, – you thought I was going somewhere else. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Based yeah. on our and previous no conversations. <laughs> next. You know, like, like you're telling that kid right then and there, forget it. Next. What's next? Next is probably you missed the basket, get back on defense. You know, my favorite story about that is Coach Brad Stevens, who's now the coach of the Celtics, yeah. and he used to be at Butler. And there was a great game. He, he won in the last second against Gonzaga. There was a turnover with a few seconds to go. And if you watch this video closely, which I have hundreds of times because I have the clip, he does not freak out after the travel. He simply subs in his players. He doesn't take out the guy that traveled because he focused on, okay, we just turned the ball over with yeah. point whatever seconds to go. Let's just put in some tall guys here guys that can jump, let's see if we can get a steal. And they did. They got a steal. The guy made the shot. They won the game in the last second. And he's just, you know, casually walks over to the coach next to him and shakes his hand. He never changes his demeanor whatsoever. And I think that sends a great message to his players that, you know, hey, this game's not over. If I freak out, you're going to freak out. Let's just stay in a moment and focus on the next play. Yeah, calm is contagious. That's right. And – you know, I mean, what if that turnover happened in the first two minutes of the game? Would he have flipped his lid then? No, right, no. Right. So why would your demeanor change in the last seconds? That's right. It shouldn't. You should be who you always are. That's right. And uh, as much as I love having him up here in New England as a coach of the Celtics, I miss Brad Stevens being at Butler. I thought college basketball was better when Brad Stevens was involved. And I'm a college sports guy. You know that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just uh, – I love the fact that he's one of those guys who's a nonlinear thinker. Like, I think if you guys sat down together, you get along famously because you're a nonlinear thinker. You know, he didn't come from the coaching ranks where, like, he went to a state university and majored in physical education and did a graduate assistantship as a coach. He was a volunteer assistant at a Division three school while he was a pharmaceutical sales rep. 
Wow. I did not know that. No intentions of going into coaching. Just kind of caught that bug while he's doing something else. He had a very successful career in pharma. And, uh, and then some other opportunities presented themselves for him to be a division one assistant. And he just found himself uh, in a career change. But I think that really shows because he, he thinks so far outside of the traditional basketball coaching box. It's wonderful. And, and college basketball is better because of that. You know? Absolutely. I'd be curious to get your thoughts. You know, we're talking about a guy in, in Brad Stevens who is calm, collected, you know, cool, just doesn't really change his emotion. And that seems to be more the, you know, new age head coach in professional sports and college sports, whatever it may be. But there's also those guys out there, the Nick Savins, who will throw their headset down and rip you, you know, to absolute treads. And I still think there's, you know, something to be gleaned, I guess, from, from getting just ripped on the sidelines. So I guess, how have you seen that change over the years? And what are your thoughts on the, the guys who run really, really hot, like a Saban versus the, the Stevens? Can both still coexist in the sports world? Oh, absolutely. I think um, you're going to see publicly, you know, whether it's through social media or media, media mainstream, you're going to see the guys that run hot more because that's more, uh, it's better clickbait. It's, there's more sensationalism there. It's, it's sexy. Yeah. It's sexy. It's action oriented. And that's the kind of the traditional old school coach you expect to see, you know, grabbing a, a player by the face mask, standing there in his, his nylon skin tight bike coaches shorts with the, <laughs> the two snaps in the front and the pockets and, and, you know, like just kind of the stereotypical old school coach. That's the sexy thing to see. Um, I, I think where they can and should peacefully coexist is every athlete at every level is wired differently. Mm. And if you're an intelligent coach, you realize yelling is a poor excuse for coaching. You also realize there are certain athletes who respond well to you getting in their face and really, you know, questioning their courage, their decision-making, their discipline, like really they need you to kind of kick them in the backside. And there are others, if you're a smart coach who has his finger on the pulse of his team, who realize this kid needs a more thoughtful, gentle, analytical maybe even approach, and he needs you to pat him on the back. So I think that's where they can – really coexist well is just you know I won't say what buttons to push because it takes a human element out of it they're not machines mm -hmm. they're they're people but if you know what motivates and what really helps certain athletes become the best version of themselves and show up that way consistently uh that's that's when that coach is going to get a great result and they'll probably be average to above average until they figure that out if they're lucky Coach, I want to talk more about how we impact athletes now and how we kind of, you know, use a certain philosophy about coaching those athletes. And in your book, Seeds of Success, you talk a lot about the importance from a coaching perspective to play to your strengths. And, and it's a bone of contention I have just internally with myself because sometimes, uh, especially with younger athletes, I talk a lot about, you know, you need to deliberately practice your weaknesses Yep. Uh, to become a better overall athlete. And then I think as you move forward in your career, 
you figure out what you're really good at and you highlight that. And we had Mike Hartman on the show a couple of weeks ago, who's an old friend of mine, who's a Stanley Cup champion with the Rangers. And he talked about how he learned when he got in the NHL, he had to figure out what he was really good at and go with that. So I'm curious, you know, what's that dichotomy there that we have to, you know, use when kids are young versus when they get older? Yeah, I think um, you bring up a really, really important point that is lost on a lot of coaches at the youth level, particularly. You know, they um, – so I'll, I'll put it to you this way. You know, I um, – you ever see those muscle and fitness kind of like bodybuilding magazines? Mm -hmm. They show these roided out, enormous <clears> – excuse me, behemoths. Just like Kyle. Exactly. <laughs> uh, they're probably a little smaller than Kyle. I mean, he barely fits <laughs> yeah. in the screen there. But they show these enormous professionals – and, and they then show you their workout routine. Like, here's how this person trains, you know, uh, buys and tries. Here's how he got, like, huge arms. Mm -hmm. And then you have these amateurs and young people who go out and try and do that ex exact same workout. Does, doesn't work. You're doing it wrong. You're overtraining. Like, you're going to hurt yourself. And that's a great analogy for what I see coaches do. You know, oh, I'm going to go try and run the exact same offense, the dribble drive that I see John Calipari run at Kentucky with my sixth grade uh, club, AAU club basketball team. And, you know, the example I'll give is, and this is kind of the, the nightmare kind of horror scenario that I see, and I'm sure you guys see all the time, a team coached by a parent because they have a kid on the team and they want to make sure their kid um, – starts or just gets, you know, I want to make sure my kid's treated fairly. So I'll coach the team. My kid didn't get as many minutes as the other kids when uh, she played on somebody else's team and then their kid ends up starting and playing every minute of every game, you know? Uh, so like if you're, if you're teaching positions, like here's what a two does and here, you know, here's, and you're a three in basketball in sixth grade, you're not teaching him anything other than choreography. Hmm. You know, uh, every kid ought to play every position at that age. It should be positionless probably until high school. As I talk to, you know, some of my friends who uh, are trainers with the Positive Coaches Alliance and really basketball coaching experts, hmm. because you're doing the kids a disservice. The kids, so you're, they you're talking about they need to develop all the different skill sets and figure out, yeah, figure out what they're good at. Yeah. And especially like if you're talking about the female athlete, you know, there are uh, middle school girls who will grow a foot between who have grown a foot between last, you know, the end of the school year last year and the first day of school this fall, they've grown a foot. And if you have them, like you just don't know when and how that's going to happen. And if you have that kid, you know, playing guard and now she's a foot taller than everyone else, She's going to be playing out of position the next mm -hmm. year. It's mm -hmm. stupid. Um, and, and it's commonplace, which is kind of a scary thing. On the flip side, you know, as, as the athlete matures, like you mentioned, uh, you know, one of your past guests, uh, Mr. Hartman, I believe his name was, mm -hmm. who played for the Rangers. <clears throat> you know, a coach would never, at, at a higher level, high school, college, pros, would never skate their goalie out to go take a faceoff. And they wouldn't put their forward in the net, you know. You, uh, but there's kind of that 
you graduate, you know, you graduate up from one level to the next, start to figure out what you're good at. Uh, a smart coach will help you move to a different position that you'll excel at more than where you might currently be. But the player and the parents have to be uh, receptive to that. Mm-hmm. You know, the parents, every parent wants their kid to be the starting shortstop, the starting quarterback, you know, um, the point guard, the, the glamorous positions. And, you know, that kid, that kid's best role on the basketball team might be they set a pick better than anyone else. Right. And that's right. just their thing. Okay. And that kid's just as valuable because they got somebody open, you know, like everyone I talk about in sees the success, which is I think where you were going with this before I totally hijacked this and took us on a tangent. <laughs> you know, my coaching mentor always said, you know, he hated the term role player. He said, every single person on a roster is a role player. They just have a different, every person has a different role. You know, even if you're on the sidelines and you're not in the game, your role is to provide energy and support for your teammates. You know? hey, I, I marvel at that, though, because especially this day and age with social media, you know, a lot of these talented kids, kids who are earning, I mean, we're talking about scholarships to some of the finest Division One programs in the entire country. They're told from the age of 14, some of them, how great they are. And, man, can I shine your shoes? Yeah. And you, I've just never seen an athlete like you. And then they get to the college level and they're knocked back down. And maybe they're the ones that are just going to be setting screens. Maybe they're the ones that are coming off the bench. So finding that, that balance of you want guys, girls and guys to be motivated, but you also want to make sure that if you're just not on that level and there's other players that are better, you still need to carve out a path and find a way to impact the game. That's a really difficult conversation, I think, for somebody that's been told their whole life that they're a star. And it's more and more uh, talented athletes at, at the younger levels because the, the recruiting process, everything's been accelerated. You have the monetization of club and youth sports by grown adults. And their self-worth is tied to having the most successful uh, AAU basketball team, for example. If it seems like I'm cracking on AAU basketball a lot, it's because I am. Because there's so much corruption and, you know, it's uh, the barrier to entry is like zero. You can start a club team and, and start playing tournaments. But, you know, there are, there are seventh and eighth grade kids being offered all sorts of shoes and merch and things, flown to tournaments to play on certain, quote, national teams. And yeah, the recruiting process in college is going to feel like a downtick. You can't hand the kids shoes and fly them here and fly them there. And, and no one's telling them how wonderful he is. You know, the, the, the college coach's job, and it really ought to be the high school coach's job, is to uh, manage their ego and temper expectations. Yeah. Because it is uh, – you're going from being a big fish in a small pond to, uh, you know, being a guppy in the ocean. So, Coach, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up this particular topic. And you alluded to – it, uh, right when we started, the concept of success or significance. And, and I bring this up because that hit me like a ton of bricks when I read about that in Seeds of Success. Uh, you know, I was coaching high-level baseball at the time and high school baseball and starting my private practice back then. And I kind of hijacked that and said, I want to be both. Yeah. So I, I literally have things printed up now where it says success and significance. Like literally on my money clip, 
on the clip it says success and significance because that's how I want to live my life. That talk clip about, only has Benjamins on it, by the yeah, way. Right. <laughs> of course. But talk about where did you come up with that concept? Was that something you were mentored to understand? And, and what does that mean to you? So what it means to me, I want to give you, I'm not sure when this podcast will air, hopefully real soon. Um, yeah, this week. So perfect example. Who, uh, I don't know if you watched the Miami Dolphins game and their comeback. You know, they benched Tua. And if I could yep. pronounce Tua's last name correctly, Taiga Vailoa, <laughs> I, I, I can't pronounce it. There you go. They benched him and they put in Ryan Fitzpatrick. Journeyman kind of career backup. And he let, he's led a bunch of comeback drives as a backup going into the game cold. Like he is a, he is a pro. He's a pro's mm. pro when it comes to being ready for those rare little moments where he gets to go in the game and help. And in the post-game press conference, the media was interviewing Tua, and they said, what do you think of you know, um, being pulled from the game and Ryan Fitzpatrick going in and playing the way he did? And he said, they don't call him Fitz Magic for nothing. You realize that, don't you? And just sort of like change the tone of the interview. They were looking for – Yeah, they were looking to throw gas on the fire and like, oh, quarterback controversy or, you know, I'm pissed that I got pulled out of the game. I'm the starting quarterback. You know, and that's something he learned, you know, playing for Alabama with Saban, you know. There was never a quarterback controversy between Tua Tagovailoa and Jalen Hurts. They rooted for each other. And I think that's the difference between success and significance and having both, as you put it so well, is, you know, true success and significance is rooting for everyone to succeed. Mm. He was happy the team won. It didn't matter to him that he got pulled as the starting quarterback. What was the goal? To start the game? To throw a couple touchdowns? To make the Pro Bowl? No, the goal is to win games. Yeah. And the team was successful because his backup came in and did the job he was paid to do. Yeah, that's a great perspective on it. And, you know, from a personal point of view, I try to live my life that way by saying, you know, everything I do, I want to have success and I want to be successful. I want to help my clients be successful. But more importantly, I want to have an impact. I want to be significant in their lives as well. So everything I try to do is try to be good at it, successful, but also have an impact at the same time. Can I share a short story with you guys about that? You know, uh, in my book, Stadium Status, uh, which is available at stadiumstatusbook.com, shameless plug, um, (laughs) I talk about, you know, uh, the concept of success versus significance in the corporate sense. And, you know, I live here in Portland, Maine. Portland, two years ago, was rated the number one craft beer city in America. We're a small, small city. And, um, you know, 400,000 people total, I think, in the surrounding area. Um, We have like 25 craft brewers in Portland. Several of them are on the same street, and they're literally next-door neighbors. They go to each other's product launches. You know, when one of them runs out of hops, they literally ring the doorbell next door and say, hey, we're out of hops for this batch. Do you guys have any extra we can borrow? I mean, that's the equivalent of like, Jason, if you were my neighbor, hey, I'm baking a cake. I ran out of sugar. Can I borrow a cup of sugar? Sure. Come on in. You know, um, but what it is, is they root for each other and they realize that when we each get better, we all get better. 
And when we all get better and we're in the business of creating fans of craft beer, if I can convince more people to appreciate and become connoisseurs of craft beer, I win, you win, all of our quote, air quotes, competitors actually win because we've created more fans for all of us. Someone doesn't just drink one brand of beer. Like someone doesn't just drink, you know, one brand of coffee. Like you appreciate a lot of it. I think Kyle, and that's what you do with your, your group on Facebook. So let's contrast that to like big beer. You know, uh, I, I had a client early in my career who was, let's I wouldn't call them the king of beers. They're probably number two. (laughs) and they had me go out and travel with a couple of their sales reps to just kind of like kind of get a bird's eye view of what they're doing right, wrong, otherwise. And they were telling me how tough it is to compete and how like, um, you know, the bigger competitors of theirs would sabotage their displays in the retail stores. Mm -hmm. And if they ever got caught drinking a competitor's product, they'd be fired. And like it's scarcity versus abundance mindset. And you see scarcity versus abundance play out in sports all the time. It's negative recruiting. It's, you know, bad mouthing the competition. It's all of that. And then some. So John, one, when can we come visit and literally tour and and (laughs) sample every single one of these breweries? But two, uh, where can people find you right now on social media? And please go ahead and plug some some of the books if they want to check in. Yeah, just go to coachbrew.com. Pro tip for you, if you spell brew wrong, I bought the misspelling of my domain name, so (laughs) it'll redirect you to my website. All my books are there. That's where you can find me on social. Um, You guys definitely need to come visit. Uh, We have what's called the main brew bus. It's literally a guy who created a business where uh, he'll take you on tours, designated driver, and kind of tell you the backstory of each of these amazing breweries. It's kind of like the, the bourbon tour in Kentucky, mm-hmm. but the beer oh, yeah. version up here in Maine. That's great. Fantastic. Well, Coach, we really appreciate uh, the time. Appreciate you joining us. Some uh, excellent tips. I mean, Doc, I think I can speak for you as well. Just unbelievable, you know, words for, I think, young people who, not even just athletes, people who are just trying to be successful in life. So we appreciate you joining us. I appreciate you guys having me. Thanks, and uh, happy new year. Thanks, John. Thank you for listening to the Rising Champions podcast. Please subscribe and join us again next week for another episode.